0: Thankful for the way these stories hold on to the lifetime we won't give. Welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore, and uh, back in September or August, it was it was the end of the summer of 2021. I was uh, invited to play some kickball with the uh, the Kankakee Public Library their their teen zone. Uh, they have a, uh, a special group or a special, like I said, they call it a teen zone, specifically for teenagers to, uh, you know, have activities to do and, and a place to go. And, and one thing that they had been doing throughout the summer was having these kickball games with community leaders. And somehow, I don't know how I uh, ended up in that category. I don't really consider myself to be a leader. But regardless, I was invited to go there. Uh, for one of the kickball teams, uh, and one of the wonderful people I met there that was also there, uh, was Derek Grant, and that's who's with us today. It's, it was so good to meet you, Derek, and I'm glad that we're able to, to sit down and, and talk. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a great meeting and it was great seeing everybody out there. Um, all of the, the community leaders, and I think the mayor was out there as the well. Ma- mayor Curtis was out mayor there. Curtis yeah, out there. um, yeah. Let's see. Well, Kent Wade showed up, uh, like, during the first, like, middle or end of the first game. So he yeah. did make an appearance. People he, are probably familiar with him since he's been a guest on the podcast, too. Oh, okay. Um, and then some of the other people, I I know that, you know, we briefly met, like, oh, hi, my name's Jake, or their name, you know, but I don't remember specifically, like, yeah. who I, they I think were. Some of the people was from the library. Yeah. Um, some of the teen zone. Yeah. People that run that that yeah. area of the library. I just forgot. I need to give you a round of applause. I do that to <laughs> all my guests. Wow. Yeah. Welcome, Derek Grant. Um, And you definitely are, are a, more of a community leader, I would say, than I am. Um, you Thank have... You. You're welcome. You... I, I was very curious to know more about you. Um, y- you have your brand... I, I don't know if that's how you, what you call it or yeah. but your organization, your um, I guess yeah <laughs> brand um, <laughs> is apply, yeah. is apply pressure apply pressure to brand. Yeah, and that is what because uh, I had asked you, when we had met, I was like, oh, what, you know, what, what does that mean? And, and you kind of explained it to me in, you know, in, in a sentence. And I was like, that sounds awesome. I was like, that's cool. I like that. So it, it just made me like, oh, it's like, I got to sit down with Derek and we got to talk. So. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so where, let's start, uh, where does life begin for you? Life begins for me, I, I, I would
1: start probably in my early teenage years, um, uh, well, and, where were you? Were you born here in Kankakee? Yes, I was, I was born and raised here. Well, okay. not raised. Let me say not not fully raised. Uh, okay. I left about maybe 13 and uh, me and my mother moved to Joliet. Okay. I lived in Joliet for about maybe a little bit over 10 years, maybe close to 15 years. Okay. So I'm kind of a a, a Joliet resident, mm-hmm. a Will County <laughs> resident as well. Yeah. Um, But my roots has always been here. My family has always been here. I have uh, an older brother and an older sister uh my mother is still alive my father passed away when i was 10 um so yeah mostly you know cousins and everything like that are all still here
0: so when when you were growing up in in Kankakee uh, what did your parents do for a living what was what was life like for you growing up in Kank- well, in Kankakee and Joliet, I guess.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, like I said, in, in, when I was ten years old, my my father died of uh, cancer. He had a certain type of bone cancer, um, which you don't hear about too often. And I'm sorry to hear that. No, you don't. It's 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 kind of rare, I believe. Uh, it's it's like a bone marrow cancer um, that he suffered from. Uh, he spent a lot of his years working at Shapiro. Uh, from what I remember,
0: okay. Uh, what did he do at Shapiro?
1: That I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm actually not sure what he did at
0: at Shapiro, but he worked there for a lot of years. Uh okay. something I'm gonna have to talk to my mother about. <laughs> um, do you? How old was he when he when he passed? Uh, he to died. get can to get bone cancer like that. He died in
1: '95, so uh, he had to be maybe. 45 44 somewhere around there that's young
0: yeah yeah he was he was young he was still you know still had a lot of life to live yeah at 45 just, in those kind of cases you just wonder if a, a person is exposed to to something yeah to m- make that cancer appear you know whether it's through work or anything like that i know yeah. he retired uh well not retired but he, you
1: know he last time he you know his work was for shapiro but my mother did tell me he worked at other factories and stuff like that in town so maybe yeah. um i think most of like cancer like that would be like radiation that's kind of what i was wondering yeah i think maybe like long terms of radiation exposure and you know probably back when he was you know, working, they didn't have like certain guidelines or, you know, like to not be around in this area, cover up,
0: you know, like we have now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was better than it was maybe in like the 1970s or so, but well, unless that's, well, that could have been when he was working in those places though. Yeah. I mean, 1970s versus, you know, 2021. I mean, yeah. OSHA is up you know up your butt <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know? so he, he was he was born in
1: 1950 uh, my mother was born in 1952 so uh, in 1970 I think you know, he'd be like in his 20s so yeah, yeah
0: yeah exactly and there would have been um, there would have been quite a few uh, factories open in, in Kankakee uh, at that time yeah so um, so what what do you remember about about your dad growing up i mean in in your early life it's it's weird because
1: uh my my brother my my brother he's the oldest and then it's my sister and then it's me and my my brother he was telling me like you know asked me the same question actually and i told him i don't remember a lot about him and he would tell me stories and he'd be like how do you not remember how do you not remember this And he'll tell me, like, I think you have this thing that's called suppressed memories that because I was 10 years old when he died. And what he thinks is that my mind just to protect me as a child, I suppressed the memories of him and I didn't want to I didn't want to, you know, deal with it. So my memory is very vague of my father. Uh, I know that he loved me. I know he was there. I have seen him all the time, you know, from what I remember.
0: But um, certain things of his character, I can't remember. So, at, when he passed away, age ten, what happened then what What were you thinking in your mind? Because now I'm I'm very curious. With you're talking about like the suppressing of, you know, you don't remember a lot, so. Uh, it it almost sounds like things you remember more from when you were, well, I guess at least when it pertains to your father, though, you know, um, you don't remember things before, but, but yeah, at age 10, when your father died, what, what were your thoughts and feelings on it? Were you sensitive to it? Or were you just, did you just kind of go about your, I kind of just went about just life,
1: um, my other siblings and even my mother described my my demeanor at the time as just like emotionalist. Like I I didn't show no emotion. I didn't cry. Were they very emotional? They were. Okay. They were. But when they describe me, they say you were just like
0: not even there. Like it like it didn't even happen. Like it was just. Did you feel like you needed to be the strong one of the bunch at that time and not show emotion? I, I think so. As a kid, you know, I wanted to be. And my mother was.
1: I seen her cry a lot. I seen her at times where she, you know, would just kind of go off somewhere else, and and she would be crying. And I knew it was because my father was not there, because you know she missed him. And being married, you know, at my young my, my young mind at the time was just like, I know she misses my father. But now, as as an older person, that bond. That you have prior before having children, they were they were married, and, you know. You had this life, and then now you've got children, and then you, you want to go your whole life.
0: Yeah, it's always supposed to be for forever and ever until you know you're in your nineties or yeah. whatever, right? Not at forty-five. Well, no, mm mm, absolutely not, at not. So no, it's just so soon, so sudden. So your father passes, then what happens? With, with your family, what happens with, you guys are still in Kankakee at that time. Mm-hmm. So what's next? Uh, my my brother is six years older than me. My sister is four years older than me. So you're the baby? I'm the baby. Me too, man. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, shout out to the babies, <laughs> man. Shout out to the babies. <laughs> yep, that's yeah. me. Yeah, we're, we're a special bunch. We really
1: are. <laughs> <laughs> we're a special bunch. Of I'm just uh, glad I wasn't the middle. <laughs> Yeah, my sister's the middle and she's like, and she's on the girl too.
0: I'm sorry, Joe, if you're listening to this. I'm so sorry, Joe, but I'm, I'm thankful I'm not the middle. I'm not saying I wouldn't want to be you, but you know.
1: It's, it's something different about the, the last, the last baby. Like, you know, we're probably more, uh, spoiled a little bit. (laughs) I'll admit that. I'm a little spoiled, uh, as I was growing up, um. But yeah, uh, my my brother is six years older than me, and my sister is four. So, uh, when my father passed, at, when I was ten, he was sixteen. He had his first child, my brother. Um, so he became a father, and as you can imagine, a ten year old and a sixteen year old that just became a father, me and my brother didn't have anything in common. So he was my older brother, but then it was like we were so distant, and he had his own thing that he was going through with the death of my father. And maybe he didn't, you know, connect with my father the way he wanted, you know, how, you know, that thing of like, you know, people pass and we, we like, man, I wish I had had done this. Yes. I wish I had to spend time with my father and him being older, he had a more developed mind than I did. So he probably took it more harder than me and him becoming a father at 16, he kind of dove like right into that to try to, you know, be like our dad. So, but in that, he kind of distanced himself away from me as being a brother. Not to say he didn't love me, mm-hmm. but I, I see now that he had his, he had his own way of like, you know, dealing with the the trauma, the the pain of you know of my father passing.
0: I mean, that's that's a hell of a, you know, your your dad, your father just passes away, then you become a father that's a lot to it was within a year I can't imagine how emotion emotional of a time that would have been for your brother yeah
1: it, it was it was tough for him and um but I I, I dove in and it, it it actually helped me too because I became an uncle
0: yeah and being an uncle is just one of the coolest things isn't man. it cool yeah. yeah yeah I love it
1: and my brother now has four kids and um they love uncle derek it's always uncle derek <laughs> uncle derek and my oldest uh nephew um is 25 okay um and then it goes down to 20 and then 18 and then 17 i believe i may be wrong <laughs> i may be wrong well th- that that sounds about right yeah um but yeah uh, and then my sister she was like a year maybe 2 maybe 2 years after him she became a mother so i'm i'm like you know and then they're moving out of the house you know my brother moved out first and then 2 years later my sister she's gone so it's now it's just me and mom and my mom worked up north so she worked in Joliet so she would drive back and forth from uh Kankakee, Kankakee to Kankakee, Joliet to Joliet okay. yeah so once they were you know pretty much grown and they had their own family my mom made a decision that you know it'd be t- it was too hard for her to keep going back and forth so and
0: costly too yeah you know all the wear and tear on your car gas money yeah it so, only made sense yeah so she moved
1: and and that's when she moved uh me and her to Joliet um i
0: had to be about maybe 13 14 years old by that time so so starting to become become a man at that time you know being a teenager they always say that's when you're becoming yeah you know yeah coming of the age um and not having a father in your life i did you have any father figures in your life um, was it your your just your mom or it was just my mom
1: um, she Made a decision when she went to Joliet, and I knew she was trying to do what was best for me and her. Um, but when I moved to Joliet, it was like, it was no family. It was no uh, big brother. You know, my brother stayed in Kankakee uh, with his family.
0: You're all all of your other siblings were back in Kankakee. So it was just me and my mom in mm-hmm. a new city. And Right. You don't know anybody. I
1: don't know nobody. She doesn't know anybody. So we was just like fresh start. And and it was, I became mad at my mom. I was like, I was super mad. <laughs> I was mad. I was like, you took me away from my town. You took me away from my friends, you know, after, you know, my father passed. And it was like, I, I was like really wanting to connect with all my friends that I was with. So you made this decision. You didn't talk to me and you just did this. So. I was, I was mad at my mom at the time. At the time I was, I, I didn't want to speak to her.
0: It was just like, how thoughtless of you to do that, to just move. So how did you act with that anger? Did you? I rebelled. You... I I rebelled against her. Like I wouldn't
1: do good in school. I, I was horrible in school. I would just walk out of class. I didn't want to do anything, anything to get sent home, um, and then, just not only that, it the city of Joliet opened up my mind to different, you know, aspects of of the world. Because uh, though Kankakee is a uh, a town where like we all know each other and it's, it's fairly small, Joliet is a, is a, quite a bit bigger.
0: Than- yeah, I've always considered Kankakee to be like a miniature version of Joliet. They're yeah. very similar, but Joliet's a lot bigger. Right. It it is. It's it's like
1: Kankakee is like a smaller version of of Joliet, pretty much. So me going to a bigger city, now my mind is like, Okay, I'm used to Kankakee. Yeah. This is different. The schools are bigger. You know, it's a, Joliet Central is huge. It looks like
0: a castle it does i always thought so (laughs) every time i've been by it i'm like man this place is big i feel like i'm going to hogwarts or something yeah
1: (laughs) i'm thinking like medieval times or something Mm -hmm. i'm like what is this is this the high
0: school is it yeah yeah
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and it's it's huge and they and now they've added more to it so Mm -hmm. it's a lot more bigger but um yeah, it was it, it was a lot more that I was exposed to too in a different lifestyle. So, you know, it was it was gangs there and stuff like that. So, I got myself involved with the wrong people. So, like as far as with uh like father figure or uh, another male influence, it, there was, you know, guys, but they were not the good influence. Because my life was just like going the opposite way just because I was mad at my mother.
0: Yeah. And, and the you know, you're thinking in, in your teenage mind at that time, you know, she didn't consult me. She didn't ask me yeah. if I wanted to move here. She didn't ask me if I was OK with that. And so it's like the, the, the one person that you're closest to and you you trust is that kind of broke that line for you. It sounds like, you know, so it kind of opens up that door to whatever else. So, so you got, how did, how did the, the gangs, how did you get involved with people that were, were you in a gang or, and just hung out with people that were in them? How did. I did eventually. um,
1: And it was crazy how I learned uh, about it because I had a, it was picture day and I, I do love, like, ram red. It, it, it's just— It's
0: it's, <laughs> it's your color? It's just my color. Okay. And I didn't, you Maybe know— Maybe it's, uh, I, I, I don't know, the bulls or something. I mean— it's something, you know, I don't know. It was just, you know, I just liked wearing I red. Just, I just, I guess I just think of, you know, I, you're you're older than me, but we're still grew up in that era of the Bulls, you know, yeah. and they were red, so it's like. I mean, maybe. yeah, I mean, we're not that far from <laughs> Chicago, so it's and, like yeah. that's the team. That's the basketball yeah. team, so a lot of people wear red just. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people more red, wore red at that time, even if it was, it it, it was like had nothing to do with the Bulls. I think we just all saw a lot of red all the time. It was we like were, subliminal that, messaging. Yeah, like, you we know, like just attra- red, 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 right. red. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were just attracted to red because we were constantly seeing it because of the Chicago Bulls. Because of the Bulls, <laughs> right. And you probably, like, if you went to, like, other cities where, like, their team is, like,
1: different, like the Lakers or something, you probably go there and see a lot of people blue, wearing purple, purple, uh, uh, or, purple yeah. or gold and or something gold, like yeah, that. Yeah,
0: whatever. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. it's anyway. like subliminal messaging seeing the red all yeah. the time. So, it's picture day and you're wearing red yeah okay not knowing that you know i'm not familiar with gangs Oh man, <laughs>
1: i don't know nothing oh, about man. gangs i didn't know so uh <laughs> i had all red on i had a red shirt red pants
0: and red uh b-boots they used to be popular. So uh, you were just—did you have a red hat on too? No, I didn't have a red hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're probably not a, allowed to wear hats, I would imagine. <laughs> no, it, and it was the wicker chair pitchers. Are you sitting in that big chair? Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I was leaving uh, school that day for pitcher day, and I'm walking out. I think I'm just a you know sharpest guy. You know, in the school, like, look, I'm matching head to toe. Oh man! You know? And uh, there's a street in Joliet called Larkin Street. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's and it's right on because I was going to West at the time. Okay. I was going to Joliet West. So and I lived in uh, a apartment complex called Larkin Village that's right off of Larkin Street. And similar to, like, how Court Street is, like, if you left from the junior high school and then, like, if you lived in, like, the Marycress area, you have to—you see the kids walking down the street under the viaduct and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's kind of how it was. So I'm leaving out, and it was, like, five guys start, you know, following me. Okay. And it was like, hey, what's up, man? What's up? Why you got all that red on? I'm like, because I like red. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was like red, yeah. you know. And he was like, "Yeah, what, 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 what gang you claiming? What gang you claiming?" I'm like, "I'm not in a gang. I'm not in a gang." Like, yeah, okay, we'll see. And and I started like walking fast, you know. And these guys are like really like coming up close on me, but they're like, and it was at a distance at first, and they're 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 yelling at me. So now it becomes a foot pursuit, <laughs>
0: all the way down. So they start chasing. Yes, you. they
1: start chasing me. And um, before I can get home, they they caught me. And, man, that was like the, the worst whooping of my
0: life. So they were from a gang that was a rival, apparently, to wh- whoever wears red? Is that? Well, yeah. So how did it end up being? What gang wears red? So,
1: <laughs> so I, from what I understood then at the time, it was that the Vice Lord gang, wore red and then the gd gang wore blue so and were those guys wearing blue and they were they were wearing some of them were not all of them it was like kind of black you know wearing various colors sure but because i was just like this bright red stop sign
0: yeah right (laughs) everything
1: was red everything was red so um i didn't think i'm like I've heard about stuff like that, but I'm like, that's in California. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of stuff like that too. Yeah. Yeah. And and I I wasn't thinking, you know, uh, but I I learned that day. And like I said, that was the worst beating I got in my life. And uh, being, um, being beat up like that. And then going home, my mom, because she worked so much, she was always like either sleep or, she was, um, you know, at work.
0: Yeah. What's your mom do for a
1: living? She was an RN. Oh, okay. She, she did a private home duty nur- uh, nursing where she took a care of a, a a young man that was on a ventilator. He was paralyzed from the uh, the neck down. Wow. And she took care of him. Uh, I want to say at least till he was at least till he was like twenty two, but she started when he was like two. Oh, so that was like a son yeah, to her. that was like a son to her, yeah. And uh, she talked about him all the time. Did you ever meet him? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I met I met him. He was really nice. Uh, he was only supposed to live, I think, to about 10 years old. And because of the good care and treatment that my mom did for him, it extended his
0: life. Uh unfortunately he, he passed I think at 21 or uh, 22 oh right okay. at that time yeah but because... still that's uh, about 10 years past past where what... the doctors had told him where he would yeah he he was gonna
1: you know pretty much not go past that age mm-hmm. but he did you know so my mom she you know like I said she did what she thought was right you know
0: and that's all apparent you know now as a parent I understand that. You do what you think is right for <laughs> yeah. your, your kids, so. and then sometimes that comes back at you later in life. It does, you know? yeah. So, so what? Ha- so after you know, you get jumped, you get attacked, you get beat up. Is your your mom doesn't see this? No, does she know about it? Did you ever end up telling her about it? I when mean, I got I, grown, I did. When you <laughs> got grown, you did. Okay. As a kid, I didn't okay. because
1: I was still mad at her. Yeah. I was still mad at her, and and that's why well, I would expect, probably especially after that. I, I I soaked in my wounds, and um, I told myself, if I said, you know what, that I have to make some friends out here, you know, because that's crazy, you know that, and that's still and that's that's like
0: bullying. Like I don't, I I hate that stuff. I hate that stuff. So what happened after that then? Um, what happened the, even like the next day? The the next
1: day. I just went back to school. I I mean, I had to go back to school. Um, The guys still bothered me. They still, you know, pretty much bullied me. You know, always kind of approached me. They wouldn't listen to me for anything. I saw one of them and I was like, hey man, you know I'm not with any gang, right? Did you ditch
0: red after that?
1: I I did not wear red for years. (laughs) Yeah, I bet not. For years, I was like traumatized almost and I would never wear red.
0: I don't see you wearing red today. No.
1: <laughs> so, you know. I wear red now, though. I, yeah. I do. I, I mean, yeah. but I mix
0: it up. Uh, yeah, you got to keep it, you know, you got to keep it fresh, right?
1: Yeah, you got to. You got to. And it's about uh, like Kent, Kent Wade is uh, promote shaking fear. Yeah. You got to shake the fear, man. Yeah. And it just, if that was something that, you know, made me afraid, now I wear it proudly.
0: Like, yeah. you know, I don't walk in that light anymore. Mm. Um, so when so you kept getting bullied by mm-hmm. this group, uh, so were they GD then? Yeah, in a gang called GD. Yeah. Okay. Gangster Disciples. So they were in Gangster Disciples. Now at that point, were you like, okay, I need to join a gang just to get protection? Yeah, pretty much. That's that's. Pretty much what it was,
1: and then the crazy thing about it is that I joined the gang that was that was actually beating me up.
0: <laughs> so you joined gangster disciples. Yes. Wow. Yes, yeah. So it was. It that's why. How so how did that happen? <laughs> right. That, that's so, not what I was expecting. I thought you were going to join a gang that was you know the rival. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. I was so like. So how did that? No, happen? I'm going to be on you guys' team. You, <laughs> right. It's. So did you get bullied into being
1: in the GD or? No, actually, uh, a friend. A friend of mine uh he he passed away maybe about three years ago. Uh, he was the first person I befriended in Joliet. Uh, he became like a mentor almost to me in the wrong way, but in some ways it was a good way too um, but he showed me a lot of the uh the gang life, the street life and everything and he pretty much kind of just took me under his wing and because people started to associate me with him, and he would tell everybody this is my brother. Leave him, you don't touch my brother. And he was pretty feared at the time. He was a pretty feared guy in the city of Joliet. So when people started noticing that, you know, that's who I was rolling with, I didn't have any problems after that. And um, I started doing, you know, pretty much the wrong things, you know, on the wrong side of the law. You know, things despite my mother. I think in and, and all in all, it was things I was trying to get my mother's attention. That, you know, you brought me here. This is your fault. If mm-hmm. if you had left me in Kankakee with the people I know, this wouldn't happen to me. Not that I blame her now. I don't want, that was no, my no, mindset uh, as a child. Right. Or you, then at the time. Right. You do
0: you do the easy thing and you blame, you know, and, and of course, sometimes you don't really understand when you're that young that you're like, oh, wait a minute. This is on me. You know, I got to take responsibility for my actions, regardless of what is happening around me. I, I am still responsible for my actions, you know. Right. No matter what is happening around me. So you join the GD and you, you, you gain a brother, you gain an older brother, a father figure and what kinds of things was he was he like the person to assign you to do things or how how does the the gang life work cuz you got someone like me and others that are listening that just have no idea yeah and i really have no idea like all i hear is just you know things you hear or read on the news or hear from a friend and like that's it so yeah. wh- so what is it really like or or at least in your experience what was that like? Um, what kinds of things were you doing? In in my experience,
1: and I only speak from from my experience. Right. um It was more like a brotherhood for me. It was like I I was gaining brothers, and the more that my friend would 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 show me more people and bring me around these people, they would accept me in, you know. And you know, you, you got your you got your own handshake. You know, you're shaking hands and you, you know, and it's it was like. Excuse me. It was almost genuine love. It was a genuine love. Now, granted, did we do things that was not right? Yeah. Yeah. Did we do things that we were breaking the law? Yeah. Yeah. Um, When, when it came to times where we would go out or go to like parties and stuff like that, and we knew that the, the, the opposite gang was there, you know, it was it was no question. It was like you had to, you had to get down. You had to fight for what you're a part of. It was no talking with them or any no reason and no rationality.
0: And it the, sounds like that was done on purpose. In those times, you would go to a party knowing that the other side is there. Right, right. And and and
1: it still carries on. Even sometimes I see today. You know, the kids are doing this, and like you knew. They were gonna be there. Yeah, you knew you. We knew it wasn't like we were just going out just to have fun. Yeah, and just go to a regular party. You know, it's all about making a statement. It's about yeah, it's about making a statement. So it was like things of that time. But then it was like it was the good times. You know, at that at that time, you know, it's like you know you you uh, you had the older guys that was in the, in the gang. They would go to like the liquor store and get liquor. You know and and drugs and stuff like that and girls and party, you know, it was like really like it was it was like I said, it was like a it was like a brotherhood. It was like a brotherhood that I was in for me. It wasn't always just like, hey, we're going to go rob this person or this is the set of things that you have to do.
0: You know, the uh, gangster disciples wasn't like that. They didn't have like a they they have a code or anything like that? I know.
1: Uh, As far
0: as, like, things that you couldn't do? Mm-hmm. Uh, things you couldn't do or things you had to do or? I, I, I never had to do anything.
1: I never had to do. Like, and nobody, I know every Nobody gang,
0: forced me to do it. I know every gang's different, obviously. Yeah. Not all the gangs are the same. And I think that's something to point out, too. Yeah. You know, some gangs are just kind of like, okay, that's. Medi- more like mediocre or um, not as aggressive, I guess you would say. No, I would say like um, um,
1: a gang in its in its in its in its core, at least for my experience with the the gangster disciples. Excuse me. It's not meant to be um, a violent show of violence or a show of aggression it's teachings also to in it to help you to develop as a as a as a young man into a man um there are principles to you know to to the you know certain laws there are certain laws that i can't really say (laughs) so but it but it is it is good things that come out of it that was in its core. Now, we all have people that will take a good thing and manipulate it and turn it into something that it was not originally created for. It really wasn't created for that reason to be this show of, oh, they're just thugs, they're just the people that, you know, uh, take people's money, you know, steal cars or whatever, you know, commit crimes, they're no good. Most of the time in these situations of gangs from what I've seen is was kids like me that just didn't have friends, got picked on and wanted to be a part of something. And a lot of the kids today are that's what they're doing. They want to be a part of something and want to feel like they belong in a brotherhood that I'm protected, that if someone did try to bully me, there's somebody that's going to come get you. If you think you're bigger than me, I have somebody that's bigger than you that will come in. I'm not alone. You know, that feeling of being alone is the worst feeling that I felt when I came to Joliet. It was like, I'm by myself. I have nobody, you know, and I'm just with my mother,
0: you know, so. So when you were in the gang, then I know it was more about protection for you. And mm -hmm. it sounds like you were your mentor he knew that yeah you know so did you end up c- committing a lot of crimes in the gang or were you mostly just kind of there or did he make sure that you didn't do a lot of that stuff or and that maybe you just witnessed it and weren't actually partaking or i i took you know what <laughs> so
1: crazy uh man god rest his soul man um uh, I, I took on my own identity because of my my anger. Uh, I I was I was so mad at just a lot of things. I was mad at my mother. I think I was some, somewhat mad at my brother too because I felt like he wasn't there. Like even though like hey, I I get it. You got a family or, you know family guy,
0: you know. But um. But you you probably felt that way. I would imagine because I feel like in most families when the when the father dies and you've got the younger brother. It's usually the older brother that's like yeah. okay, you know, it's my responsibility it to takes the charge. take the charge. That's yeah. kind of the the you know, the the expected or the expected or the stereotypical thoughts and feelings, right? So I would imagine that's probably why you felt that way. Yeah. Cuz he just he's got he's got his own family now, so he doesn't have time to be there for to you. to be there, yeah, and 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 it turned into like a, a, a
1: anger that I I just built up, and I I would take it out on other people, so that that's where like I when I say like I I kind of conform my own identity, knowing that I had like you know protection, and I knew I had like guys that were behind me that would ride with me no matter what, you know, I I would start stuff with people, so I became the bully, I became a bully from being bullied, and it was just a sense of to show like I'm tough, you know, to show that I was, I was tough. So, um, I, I, I've, I've committed, uh, crimes of, you know, um, home invasion, you know, going in, you know, other people's houses, stealing, um, battery, you know, just things that out of just anger, just wanting to do stuff and, and, it wasn't like I chose the life. I didn't I didn't want it just like really, it was just like it, it came to me because I, out of a sense of just wanting to be protected and just wanted to show uh, a sense of strength and to show that like, you're not going to mess with me. You know, you're not going to mess with me. And I became this, this really fearful guy pretty much as, as time went on was that you, you see me, you knew what I was about. You knew I was either going to, You know, beat you up, rob you, (laughs) do something to you. And I and and it was like I gained respect out of fear. Um But he would always tell me, you know, like, hey man, we we don't wanna do this. You know what I mean? Try to he would in in certain situations would try to steer me the the right way. Like, hey man, go why don't you did you ever think about going to school? Stuff like that. He would ask me, you know, like, hey, what's what's a was something you like to do, you know? And at the time, I wasn't trying to hear him. I was just like, "Man, I I like this mm-hmm. gang banging. That's what I like doing." It, it it was it was times where you I definitely didn't want to do like a lot of things, like you know, hurtful things. But then it it'd come times where it was just like it was like a release. It was I had to release. It was like if I didn't do it, I had to go do something.
0: And so it became almost like a habit or an addiction. And it was it was it was a lifestyle, you know, well, yeah. I, lifestyle, yeah, absolutely. I, I had started uh, uh,
1: selling drugs as well, so in that mindset of selling drugs, I'm running into different types of people, you know. And in that lifestyle, and then people, you know, not paying you money, and you know, you you it, it changes your the way that you think. It changes the way that you act and how you respond to people. So I had this really bad, you know, negative like lifestyle that I was living and it was like just going really nowhere and I and I I knew that I knew that it was only two places that it was going to take me but at that point I didn't care I didn't care whether it you know
0: if it was going to kill me it was going to kill me yeah you lost your father your mother was too busy she made you move to a city you didn't know anything about your oldest brother started a family, has no time for you. It's yeah. it's like a perfect scenario for chaos, you know, perfect formula for that. Yeah, and that's what it became. It became, like, very really chaotic in my life. So how long were you a part of GD? How long did this go on for? It, it went on for quite some years.
1: Um, it got worse uh, when I turned 17. Uh, when I turned 17, I had something very traumatic that happened to me that changed my, it, it should have changed me for the good, but it actually intensified the way that I viewed the world and how I acted with it. That was like small stuff. That was like just small, just because I was young. And, uh, when I was 17, you know, traveling back and forth from, uh, Joliet to Chicago, I had met a, uh, a, a young lady that I started dating. But she lived in Chicago. Well, she lived in Skokie, Illinois, which is like kind of As north. It's north of Chicago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But not that far. It's like, not, no. Skokie yeah. is
1: like, it's right there. You can yep. cross right into Chicago, North Chicago. Yeah. You're right there. Yeah. Uh, Skokie and uh, Evanston. Yeah. Yeah. They're
0: Evanston's like, right by. Yeah.
1: Right there next to it. So uh, that's where I would go. And, and the crazy thing about it, was because I was still mad at my mother. So when she would be asleep, I would take her car.
0: <laughs> oh man. Dang. I,
1: I would take her car to go see her. Ah. And uh I, I still don't to this day don't don't see how she didn't know I was gone.
0: She never knew? She never knew. She never to this knew day. You took her car until you probably told her one day, finally confessed after all these years, Hey mom, <laughs> I used to take your car while you were asleep. Yeah. I'm like Bob And drive like, it to Skokie. I, I would drive a lot of other places too,
1: like around, even around Joliet, mm-hmm. you know, I would, sure. I would just take her car. Yeah. Um, I, and and that was one of the things that was like another thing to me that was like, you know, it would make me mad. It's like, you're not even aware, yeah. you know, but yeah. she was just so deadbeat tired yeah, of working. yeah, just from working and working all the hours that she Single a, parent. Single you know. parent.
0: And just trying to take care of her last boy that she has, you know, so, um. So, yeah, you're you're 17, you're seeing this girl in Skokie.
1: And I would go up there, and, you know, we'd go on dates and, you know, go out to to the movies and, you know, things that teenagers do. Right. You know? Yeah. And I, I was still kind of like in a—I a, still had a good mindset on me, you know. And I was actually—actually, actually I was in Job Corps at the time. Uh, I had actually went into Job Corps by the advice of my friend. So remember, I was telling you he was—he was telling me like, "What do you like to do?" So yeah. I went to the Joliet Job Corps.
0: What's Job Corps? Because I've actually never heard of that. Really? No, <laughs> no, I've never heard of the Job Corps. So Job
1: Corps is a place where uh, uh is from—I want to say from 16 to, um, about 23. You can attend there, and you can get—it's like a trade school. Oh, okay. You can get a trade. You can get your high school diploma you can get your GED. Okay. So you learn things like culinary
0: arts, uh, auto mechanics, uh, welding. So you learn there's a lot of trade. uh, Yes. You learn a lot of the trades there. Oh, okay. And
1: uh, and it's crazy. You don't hear about it a lot uh, no more. But back then it was like Job Corps was the thing for, you know, everybody to go to. There were kids that were leaving high school and they were going to Job Corps. Because they knew they could still get their high school diploma and they could get a trade.
0: Uh-huh. That's a decent deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't see why we're not pushing our kids to go to that Right, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess the equivalent here in Kankakee uh, County is the Career Center, but I don't. you can't get your GED there. That's just a supplement you can go to uh, while you're going to high school. You can learn a trade. Yeah. So I guess that's our equivalent of it. Here, which is amazing, and it's still here. It's been uh, it's taught so many people the the trades over the years. But anyway, so back to back yeah. to you and Job Corps though. Um, but yeah, I was I was attending Job
1: Corps, and they give you leaves. So like if you're a resident, like because you could live on the campus. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's they they have campuses where they have dorms and stuff. So it's like a college, but it's just it's a trade school college Mm pretty much. Yeah, Yeah. that's cool. Um, And they got these all over the United States and in different uh, states. So they give you leaves. They give you passes. So you have to be on campus for so long. And then they give you a leave to where you can leave for the weekend. So I was on a weekend leave and I came home and then took my mom's car, went up to go see my girlfriend at the time. And she had this friend that would always be with her at, at whenever we would, you know, link up or whatever. And it was this, like, this day was, like, just so weird. It was different. Like, the whole vibe was was very different. The friend was was really friendly with me and, and really, like, kind of, uh, how can I say the word? Um, mysterious. She was very mysterious and very, like, the things that she was doing was was not normal was not regular to what she we would used to do so we had went to this mall that was on Clark Street in Evanston so we had crossed over into the Evanston and we was at this Clark Street mall and we had went in there and we we're you know shopping doing some things and she stopped the friend stopped to talk to another gentleman me and my girlfriend we walked out and got into the car and we said hey you know we're gonna we're going to leave, so, you know, kind of, like, hurry up, you know. Like, come mm-hmm. on, come on, come yeah. on, you know. We get in the car, and as we're, like, just sitting there, you know, we're waiting for her and, you know, just talking. My girlfriend is looking, like, I'm looking at her, and she's looking at me. So she's looking out the window. And so I'm talking to her, and I'm like, you know, like, what are you looking at? And she started pointing, and she's, like, she's she's tapping me, like, you know, like, look, look, look. And I look, and it's a guy with a hood over his head running up to the car and he, and he literally runs up all the way to the car. Cause it, 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 it I didn't, I didn't understand what he was doing and he's like running up to the car and he got to the car so fast. It was like in a blink of an eye, he raised the gun up at the window and just start firing inside of the car. I'm literally just like in the, you know, like in a, like a state of shock. It's just, you know, and I'm, I'm jumping around in the front seat, and my body falls over on her and kind of, like, shields her. After, like, what seemed to last a lifetime in that second, it seemed in my mind like it was a lifetime, I realized that I had been shot a lot of times. And I crawled to the floor. I crawled to the ground across the passenger seat, and she's screaming. I could hear her screaming in my head my body now is like numb but i'm looking at my body and it's just like my limbs are hanging my arm is hanging my face feels weird it just it just it didn't feel right it felt like i got punched by like the incredible hawk punched me in the face uh, long story short after i got to the hospital um and they they you know operated on me I had finally found out that
0: I had got shot
1: 11 times. 11
0: times?
1: 11 times. Yeah. And w- was your
0: girlfriend okay? She got grazed. So okay. pretty much I, I took all the gunfire. Where? So you must have just got shot like what? Like in your arms or your... I just got Just places shot. that didn't have vital organs? Well, I, I mean, got shot. One of the bullets went towards my heart.
1: I think they said it was like maybe a centimeter from puncturing my heart. Yeah. I've I've got shot two times in my left arm. Um uh, one in my face. Five in my chest. One in my right hand. One in my right arm and then in my leg. Yeah. And not one bullet hit a vital organ. That's insane. I walked out of the hospital in 14 days.
0: Yeah. And did you figure out why this guy did this? Did they did they catch him? Did they did did her friend have something to do with this? I, I, I believe she did. I I believe she did.
1: Um because we could never find her. Because she never came out of the store. So when my girlfriend was like, she told me later, it's like, hey, when I was telling the police to go find my friend, they went in there to go look for her. They said, there's no girl in here. Did she ever see
0: her after that? No. Never? No. So she, she mu- just like disappeared off the map. So either she had something to do with it or she saw what was going on and was just, or she, maybe she got hurt herself but the, the crazy thing about it is that i would never know not even to this day i don't know and i bet that drives you crazy because it's driving me crazy right it now it used to just it used okay. to because it like i'm still thinking in my mind like what what did she do did she sell you out because at this time you were still in uh a gd right even when you were going to job corps yeah so she could have easily I don't know. Brought you to the table to some other yeah, sir. Rival up on gang, a, yeah, served yeah. me up on a platter, right? And being like, hey, there's I know this guy. Yeah,
1: yeah. The 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 crazy thing is that you know, being that I'm not from Chicago and this is where you know where it happened. Yeah. Um, but she knew, like you know, like I said, every time that I would go up there, she would always be with us. Yeah. But she never acted like that that day. It was just very weird. She was very mysterious and just acting very weird. Um, and what really bothered me—it still kind of bothers me a little bit today—but I'm I'm okay, you know, because I've I've transitioned a lot since then. Um, the police came. The detective, you know, they followed up. And came to the to, to my house. The Chicago detective came all the way to Joliet. And this is of course when my mother finally found out that I was taking her car. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I got shot oh, in her car. Right. Was, oh, right. That would have been her car. <laughs> that was her car. Oh, my God. <laughs> so she she found out, uh, she found out of course in a worse way, uh, when my mother tells the story, it is it is it brings me to tears still to this day when she gets she tells me about the phone call and she was like hey i got a phone call and the first thing they said was ma'am do you have a son my mom said she she hung up the phone instantly cuz she knew why are you asking that you know and they called right back and said, hey your son was shot multiple times and he is in critical condition in the hospital you know and she tells it, it's more like just hearing it from a mother. is breaks my heart even, you know, she doesn't talk about it a lot. She's just grateful. She still has her son.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I still can't get over. That's the other part I obviously can't get over either is you got shot 11 times and you're still here to talk about it. And you're walking. Yeah. You know, you're not <laughs> um, paralyzed or anything like that. Or no. at least from the, the visual eye, I don't see any... Just some cosmetic stuff that yeah. uh,
1: you know. I had to have my, uh, I had to have to get reconstructive surgery done to my face. Um, that, that's oh my god, that's that's a whole nother story. <laughs> yeah, uh, I bet. But um, going back to the detectives, the detectives came down and they had like a, 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 what's that thing called? Where they got all the pictures of the people on a uh, on a, on a they piece call of that paper a profile.
0: Like they I do
1: like a profile or something, but he had, like, all these mug shots on, on one, like, two or three. Oh, know. a lineup? He had a lineup. So he wanted me to explain what happened. I pretty much told him. And he was like, well, look at these people, and they're all Hispanic, man, because the neighborhood that I was in was a Hispanic neighborhood. So it was all these Hispanic uh, uh, men that was on this paper, and he had some of them that were circled. Don't know why he didn't say why they were circled, but he was like, "Does any of these stick people stick out to you?" And he would only go. It was like maybe three pages, but he would only go to page two. He wouldn't go to page three, and he would go to page two. He was like, "Nobody sticks out." I said, "Hey, man, I told you." The guy ran up with a hood over his face. He said, "Well, if you're not you, you're not from the area. You're from Joliet, so." Why did he need a hood? I said, I don't know. Find him and ask him. I don't know. Well, this just doesn't seem right. You, are you involved with any gang, Mr. Grant? This is what the police is asking me. I said, what is the relevance of this? I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I'm, I'm the victim, but it seems like you're trying to turn this around as if I deserve to get shot. I'm, I'm confused. He said, well, we see this all the time gang violence where one rival gang shoots the other one, then we question them, then we get answers like this. Because you guys like to take out your own form of justice, right? And my mom's standing right there. She was like, are you serious right now? Are you seriously saying that to my son? Asking if he's not revealing the identity of the person who shot him because of some gang tradition to not snitch on or some street justice that you think he wants to take out? This is insane. You're Go do your job. Go be the police and go find who shot my son. So we can find who shot your son, Miss Grant, if your son will cooperate with us. And my mom said, you know what, it's time for you to leave. That changed me. Not only did I, you know, suffer from a long years of PTSD, from hearing loud noises, and 4th of July was the worst, but it changed my view of the police. I used to like the police. I mean, I like them now. Now I do, no, but I, I mean, I understand. In that, t- <laughs> in that time, you would
0: have a different perspective. It, cha- it, it
1: changed my perspective of the police. Not only was I already an angry person, now I had a reason to be angry. So my 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 attention changed. So whenever I did do something, it was like you know, then the police come. You know, I was I would spit on them. I would, I would I would I would resist arrest. I would call them all types of names. You know, it was. And some of them was just doing their job. It wasn't nothing against me. It was no nothing. It yeah. was just you my were, anger.
0: Yeah, you were just taking it out on every single cop, even though it was just the one you had the bad experience with. And you didn't, you didn't, you didn't even try to find who shot
1: me. Who? This was an attempt murder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is attempt murder. And you're treating me as if. I'm I'm a
0: suspect in my own shooting. Mm -hmm. Well, did you say did you say, hey, look, like, yes, I am in a gang, but no, I'm not concealing anything. I mean, or could you not even say that? Yes, I'm in a gang. You probably couldn't just say that. Well, the police, you know, you know, the police have a profile of you. Yeah. You know, so. Right. um, Whenever you get arrested,
1: if you have any like. Priors priors or gang tattoos and stuff like that they take pictures they they log this into the system right so this is why I say I advocate for you know young men do not get arrested because this is something that stays on your record even now as the person that I am now it's still if I get pulled over you know for just a minor traffic ticket he can see my record yeah he, he can and he's, see. and he's gonna assume things You know he doesn't know the Derek now. He just sees the Derek that's on his screen that says, "Oh, this is a violent guy." Right. You know this is a guy that's had. You know, after getting shot, I've had gun charges, and I've had to prove that in court to why I had a gun, and my lawyer had to prove to the point that, like, hey, he has a gun because he made a vow to himself that that would never happen to him again. He would never be in a vulnerable position in a car. And even, you know, it took me years in a car, you know, for that,
0: to even get over that, that, tr-
1: that trauma of sitting in a car.
0: So did you ever, so you didn't start carrying until after that moment? No, no, I,
1: I, even as, you know, as much little stuff, you know, it was, it was like, I want to make, you know, uh, minimize the, the things that I did as a, as a, as a uh, teenager, um, but they weren't like. That was obviously extremely violent. It it wasn't extreme to the the point of, you know, I had pulling guns out on people. Yeah. It wasn't that.
0: But after. After this experience, I'm sure you were. So so you. My perspective of the world changed
1: because I felt so vulnerable that any given time, if someone that didn't even know me, I'm sitting in a car with a woman. You run up on me and then, you know, no explanation. So it's like I can only assume that her friend had something to do with it. I can could, I could only assume that. I can't, there's been no justice for that. There's been no police officer, nobody to say, hey, we got him, this is why he did it. He confessed. So even to this day, it took me years to get over that fact that I will never have justice. I'll never get that. And it changed my view of the world like wow this is this is a messed up world we live in that someone can almost get murdered and then they get treated like a suspect in their own murder and they almost attempt murder and then you hear nothing from the detectives years went by no call how are you doing nothing I said this is the police system i I was angry I said okay if you're not going to protect me I protect myself I'll make and and of course then at the time I had a felony um so i I wasn't legally able to carry a gun or I didn't even you know not at the time I wasn't a felon but I didn't have a gun guard um so I just got a gun myself you know, and whenever I would drive or wherever I would go, I made sure I had a gun with me um whenever I was with any friends? We sit in the car. I couldn't sit in the car, so from I was eighteen, that, nineteen, twenty, all the way up to like
0: twenty-eight. I'm thirty-seven. I was gonna say that's well almost ten years at this point, but still, that's it, took it feels like not that long
1: ago. Time for me to get over that, to get to that point of not being paranoid of sitting in cars. You get out, like, if we went to, hey, we were just going to go to Walgreens up the street here. Yeah, right? yeah. And you get out, you say, hey, I'm
0: I'm just going to go grab some gum yeah, or something. You stay right here. I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go get some gum. No, yeah. I'm coming with you. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, no, I'm not staying here, man. I'm going with you. I don't care if it's you're even not two me. minutes. yeah Even if it was, yeah, two minutes. You're not leaving me in the
1: car, Jacob. <laughs> yeah, you're like, <laughs> not, no, sorry, man. <laughs> you're not leaving me in the car. And that was the paranoia. that was That was, you know... Um, Now we're, we're more informed about it, about PTSD, but that was PTSD. Oh, absolutely. You know, I was just, my mind was just.
0: So where was like, you know, you're, you're, you're always making sure that you're carrying a gun at this point. So what are the violent acts that follow? And so this, uh, yeah, I guess, where do we get to the part where the world actually turns (laughs) for you now into the state you're currently at? What? what was that turning point? You know, what were the moments leading up to that? What were the, if there was, you know, the more, uh, I guess it sounds like you were more violent after that.
1: I, I was more,
0: yeah, more. So to to fast
1: forward, it, it it could best be described like this. After hurting people, being the way that I, my mindset, the way that it was, um, broken relationships, broken friendships, um, I was not loyal, uh, to people. I, I I broke a lot of, uh, promises. I I was, uh, uh, I was, I had got married in between that time. Um, I was a horrible husband. I became a horrible person because of what happened to me. And, because of that, I my life just, it couldn't stand one, I couldn't keep it on track. I would try. I would try to uh, get it together, but it, it just wouldn't go. And as I got into my 30s, then that's when life started to slow down. Well, I, I had uh my, my twins at uh 28, when I was 28, yeah, when I was 28, they came into the world. Then things started to change. And... I had a different reason to live, and I had to start changing certain things about myself. But I would notice that I would punish myself for my past, and because I would punish myself, I, I would miss
0: opportunities for things. Um, because you felt like you didn't deserve them for the acts that you committed. I, I felt like I didn't deserve a lot of things for
1: for a long time. So when I got to the age of, uh, this was in, 2018 so i had to be uh 34 i think yeah 34. 34 um i was getting done with seven surgeries um i had to go through um and four radiation treatments to fix my face uh, because my face had developed really bad keloids
0: was that from the original um, shooting, or that that shooting where you got shot eleven times? When I got shot in the face. When you got shot in the face. The the
1: wound. And so as I grew older, I grew a beard. Okay. I, I used to have a pretty thick beard. Okay. Um, and the hair grew around the beard. Uh, well, not the hair grew around the beard. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I know, it grew around your the scar the scar. Wound, the the scar. scar. Okay. So, um, the scar started to develop into uh, a, a keloid scar. Um, if you're not familiar with that, that's like if you see guys that get their ears pierced and they have those big things on their on their ear. Yeah, those are keloids. So my skin is like if if I cut myself, it 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 develops this hard tissue. So it had got so big that it it covered my entire face from one end to the other, even under my neck. And it became infected really bad to where I had to get surgery to get it removed. Uh, And they had to skin graft my face. So uh, that caused a lot of depression with how I looked. So I went through depression, anxiety, um, a lot of undealt with trauma uh, during that time. So in 2018, after I had came out of all of this. I had tried to go back into life to try to try to really, like, find me and find a different outlook at life. Um, the, and I didn't deal with a lot of the the trauma. So because I didn't deal with that trauma, I got into a relationship that I shouldn't have. And I took a lot of my trauma... Out on that person, and when I realized what I was doing, by the time, by that time, it was too late because the person was so uh, done with me and just, you know, thought the worst of me. And I looked at my life and I said, "You know what? Nobody is saying anything good about Derek Grant. I, I've I've wasted my time on Earth." I've done all these horrible things because I was hurt instead of talking about it with the right people. And I started thinking about that. And as I thought about that, I thought about, well, maybe I shouldn't live. Maybe it's, I don't need to be here. So I took, I had uh, some leftover medications for my surgery, I had, like, a, a lot some strong medication. At least I thought they were strong. Medication.
0: Well, I, I'm sure, like, pain medications and things like that, like Vicodin or... Um, I had, uh, I think it was the Norco. Norco I was going to say Norco is yeah. another one. Norco.
1: Yeah. And it was really strong. Um, I had some volume, and I mixed it all up in a pill bottle. I had some Jack Daniels, and it had to be, to me, I think it was about 50, 50 pills. I shoved them down my throat you know, and tried to swallow as many as I could. And I did. And I did. And I I waited. And I I prayed, you know, to God to take my life, take my life. And the next thing I knew, I woke up in a hospital bed with a tube down my throat. And the doctor was standing over me and asking me, do you want to live? And I'm crying, you know, as he's asking this question. And I just shook my head, and he said, okay, I'll give you some time, but I'm going to come back, and I'm going to ask you that question again. And I must have, like, kind of, you know, passed out from, you know, still waking up from the medication and everything, not realizing how much work they had done, you know. So he came back in, he said, I'm going to take that tube out your throat. They had to incubate me. He said, I'm going to get Get the nurses and staff to get in here so you can talk. Your throat might be a little sore, but we're going to get you some water and everything so you can talk because I want you to explain some things to me. Like, okay. So, you know, I came in and did that, you you know, and he came back in again. And he said, Derek, I want to ask you this question again. Do you want to live? And he said, but hold on. Before you answer that question, I want to tell you what we did to save your life. When you came in here, your pulse, you didn't have one. Your body temperature was so low that we couldn't detect it. We had to put you in a bear hugger to keep you warm. That's how low your body temperature was. The signs that you were showing for me as a doctor in my profession, I've never seen that before for a person that has taken pills from from what you came in for. That's not the signs of an, an OD. That's that's not what you're showing. And he said, about five minutes after we got you in, you know, we got you wrapped up in a bear hugger. You dropped. Your your heart stopped. We You cold blue. We had to come in and we had to bring you back. That's when it, like a red, he said, that's when like a red flag went off in my head it was like, what is going on? And he said, the moment I'm sitting there questioning and doing this, we, I'm going to try to remember. Oh, before that. So when, when that happened, that's when they reached out to my family. My sister is my emergency contact. So they reached out to my sister. And my sister is on the phone now with the nurse and explaining to her what's going on. And then the nurse is telling her, hey, you know, he came in from, you know, OD, you know, a, a, a suicide attempt. You need to get here. And as she's talking to my sister in the background, cold blue, cold blue, she had to hang up with my sister, say, hey, that's your brother. I got to go. Please get up here to the hospital. So the doctor tells me, he says, you did that three times. We bought you back three times. I'm going to tell you this. Doctors don't talk about God. Doctors rarely talk about spirituality and things of that nature. But this doctor changed my life. And it's the way that I, I see life now because he made such a big impact. And I believe it was a divine intervention for that. He said, Derek, though you want to take your life, Your life doesn't belong to you. And I'm like, huh? So yet your life does not belong to you. There's something about you. Because see, by the time now, my sister is there. So your sister told me a little brief history of you. Because once we, you know, got they got my shirt off, so I have a lot of scars from what I've been through. He said, I wanted to know what happened to you. And when she told me, when you were 17, you were shot 11 times, and that you lived through that, and now here you are now in my room. And I don't know what else you went through probably prior to that in your life other than that, but I'm telling you, there is something that God has placed in your life that you have to bring to this world and until you bring whatever God has placed inside of you to this world, it's not your life. Your life belongs to God to use for his will, not yours. So not a moment later, um you can check out of here. You can't check out when you want. And I'm crying. This doctor I'm I'm tearing up. I'm tearing
0: up over here as you're telling
1: this story. To be honest, the, the, I'm crying. And he said, "We're gonna, you're you're gonna be fine." But this is one thing that we did notice, and because, like I said, I wanted to know why. You know, certain things that you were going through. You have a condition called Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. Your thyroid does not produce uh, enough. Well, I produce too much. Too much, yeah. I produce too much of the thyroid um, hormone, hormone, uh, whatever it's called. Yeah. So he said that can cause depression. It could cause severe anxiety. It it, it changes your thyroid. Affects a lot. Of, you can't live without a thyroid. So um, he said, that's actually a good thing that we caught that, because otherwise we, you never would have knew. I said, wow, I've went through my life this long. But um, to get to, you know, to where I'm at now, that's what changed me. And since that day, I have lived my life with purpose, with with God's purpose for my life and I've, I've, I've converted my life to, you know, Christianity, spirituality, seeking divine purpose. And one of the things that I, I had, uh, during that time of now from that three years, and it's only been three years. Um, I started to develop my brand and I wanted to inspire other people from what I went through. I didn't know what that was going to look like. And I I would pray and I'm like, you know, Hey God, just use me. You said this life doesn't belong to me. (laughs) Right. So use me for how you want me to be used. And I started seeing like this diamond and I was like, you know what? A diamond has to go through a lot of pressure. And when pressure is applied to that diamond, that's when it becomes the beautiful you know thing that we, we wear on our ears and on our, our, our fingers because it has to go through a lot of pressure. And the motto to the brand is, I am unbreakable. So through, like, during that time, I would say affirmations to myself. I would say, you know, I am a child of God. I am strong, I am smart, I am beautiful because I said so many bad things to myself because of what I had done. I was punishing myself in my past. So I was like, I'm unbreakable. But a diamond, simply translated, if you look up diamond, it's, it's unbreakable. So I felt like everybody is a diamond, you know, and has to go through their own pressure in life and their own uh, stories, their own trials and tribulations in life, but if you get through it and you get on the other side of it, you will become that precious diamond, but you got to go through it. And I got this saying, I had this saying (laughs) that not everything that we think is bad in our life is bad for our life. So the things that we think is bad, we say, Man, that's a bad thing. I don't need that. We, we 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 try to get rid of it. But what if that bad thing was actually the good thing that you needed for your life? Then you look back and you like, now I see why I went through that. Now I see why. I have no regrets of my life of what I've what I've done and what how I live, because I know how I live now. And I know the the guy that used to be When I used to think of myself, like, nobody had nothing good to say about Derek Grant. Like, now, I know that's not true. People that see me now, they say, man, I never would have (laughs) guessed.
0: Dude, you went through that? You was like that? (laughs) I never would have guessed. You know, that's why I was like, I got to know Derek's story. You know, that's why I was like, I got to sit down with him and I got to learn— why, Why? you know, yeah. why apply pressure? Why, you know. Pressure in life is necessary. Pressure in life is necessary.
1: I, I preach that now. It's necessary for your character development. It's necessary for you to be the person that you were intended to be. If you don't go through those things, you skip that. That's, that's like um, trying to work out and you're trying to, you know, build muscle. And you say, okay, well, I'll just work arms this day. But I don't like doing chess. Doesn't work that way. You have to work every area of the body. You have to work even leg
0: day. Can't skip leg day. <laughs> you want to be my personal trainer? <laughs> this sounds like it could work because that's that's exactly right. And yeah, I just need someone to tell me, okay, we're doing this today. We're doing that tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> <Or> yeah. What... <laughs> and it, it just like kind of set you on a
1: course of like, hey, you know, look, like, hey, we got to do this. We got to do arms. We got to do yeah, chest. Yeah, yeah, But you can't skip none of those areas though. Yeah. And and that's pretty much with pressure. That's you know that's how I was able to come. You know, I feel like that's what was given to me by the Creator. Um, to, to do that, to be an inspiration to, uh, my city that where I'm from, um, I've been back here in Kankakee since 2010 and it, it, it hasn't always been good, but for the past three, four years now, my life has dramatically changed as I've, giving my life to God, and yet, like I said, I walk in purpose. I try to use my voice and my story to inspire people that um, are going through mental health uh, things. And, I, and I, I'm an advocate as well for the AFSP, uh, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So I do talks, I do um, mental health workshops now to 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 get out there that mental health is so needed for us. It's so needed for young adults, the teenagers, like when I was, when I was a teenager, and not realizing how vital it is to sit down with a therapist, you know, to sit down and talk about your feelings, to be vulnerable, you know, about these things. I, I, I wish... One thing I wish I had done is I had talked to my mother. I was going to say, because you never talked to her during the whole time. I never talked time. to her. I never, she didn't know I was going through those things. And she said it. She We, we did sit down. We had to talk. You know, I was growing. And she was like, Derek, I wish you had told me.
0: And she admitted some things, too. So, And that's the thing. I mean, I remember being so scared to tell my mom— or dad about something that Either if it was a way I was feeling Or something bad that I had done I mean, who wants to tell your parents it's, it's, You know, think of the worst thing in the world That you could have possibly done Do you really want to go to your mom and dad and say Uh, I did this No, you don't It's like the most uncomfortable feeling in the world yeah. So it's completely understandable in your case and so many other cases, and we've all done it to certain degrees where we just, we don't tell them exactly what's going on. Yeah.
1: And because we're, we're scared of, if, if they'll look at us different, that they'll reject us as, yes. as their child. Like, you know, wait, what is, what's is wrong with you? You know, you know, I didn't raise you like that, you know, and we as kids, we at the time, you know, as a kids, you you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear like you know your parents. You're a disappointment. Yeah, you're a disappointment. You know, look at your brother, you know, or you know, and you and it's not that as parents, you know, and now as a parent, we don't want to, um, we don't want our children to uh, be in competition with the other child, you know,
0: or whether it's your child or somebody else's child. Yeah. It's, it's so, uh, sometimes it's hard to understand that it's about, um, just being a, obviously a support system than being so much as discipline and telling them what they should be doing or, or, you know, comparing, I guess. You don't want to compare, you want to just support them through when, when they need it most, no matter what they've done. And she, my mother has been a support,
1: you know, unfortunately, she had to find out um, through the police department <laughs> what yeah. I was doing, yeah. you know, but she showed up. I, I One thing about my mother, I love my mother and through all my, my, my bad times, she showed up. She was the only one. And then when I finally realized that, I was like, man, you know what? I was trying to get all this approval from the guys and, you know, be down with the crew and all this and that. You know, whenever I would get locked up, they wasn't there.
0: No, absolutely not. They were as far away as they possibly could be. Yeah. they.
1: Where's this, you know, brother love when I'm incarcerated? Yeah. It was just my mom, you know, sending me money, you know, uh, writing me letters, answering my phone calls. It was my mom. You know, so um I love my mom. Shout out to my mother, <laughs> Ruth Grant, that's my mother.
0: Yeah, mama. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and shout out to my sister
0: too. Yeah you gotta give her, give her a round of applause. You got yeah, my sister yeah. gotta give she, sister a round
1: of applause. She has been there um for me through through a lot too. You know, whenever I had my my medical situation, so when my mom couldn't come, you know, because she's older, my sister stepped right in and she was right there, you know, and in all of my my mental health episodes where I've just like freaked out, she was there. Through my surgeries, she was there. So much props to my sister. My brother was there too. We we we're we're still over the years. We're still kind of like connecting. Because we just never had that, you know, and I love my brother, you know, so, um, but we just never had that, you know, that brother love like type
0: of, you know. Yeah, because he had, uh, you know, he, his first child, he was 16. Yeah. He was still a child himself. Right. So trying to figure stuff he's out. Trying to figure stuff out. He didn't have time yeah. to, you know, uh, be, be there and support you. Yeah. What I want to know now, with all the you know the work you've been doing, uh, you know, spreading awareness about the importance of mental health, sharing your story, getting out there, getting more involved with the community and the kids. Like, what is it? What is it really like right now in Kankakee for the kids? And, and what what do you think they really need? What, have you, what are some of the, the things you've seen or witnessed or heard? Me and um, uh, Kent Wade, shout out to Kent Wade. Um,
1: Kent Wade, Jeff Davis, um, Jovan Marshall, Karan Clark, uh, Eric Curry at the uh, high school, uh, and, and Rhonda Curry. We do a program called Man Up. Uh, Man Up works with uh, the grades 6 through 12. And Mr. Curry, he has 10 Ps, or 10 Promises. Uh, I can't remember all of them. (laughs) Uh, But it's like, you know, some of them, I I know some of them are, I I promise to stay out of the criminal justice system. I promise to um, uh, respect all women. Uh, just some of the some of those things and uh, I do believe the Daily Journal ran, ran a
0: yes uh, yes they they I uh, at least once if not multiple times I've been seeing and of course I'm friends with Kent on, yeah. on Facebook and Instagram so I see you know him talking about the the man up program and yeah and uh it sounds it sounds fa- uh, perfect and fantastic for what kids need and I think um and
1: and you know, and, and also with uh the City Life Center too as well, they work with the with the kids. Um, what I would say the kids, you know, to answer, you know, going back to your question, um I would I would say really it's on the parents. It's on the parents that see we can spread, you know, the the awareness of it, but we have to get back in that sense of like you're going. There's no you know, way out of this, like, I I don't, I I don't, I'm not for like forcing something on, on, on your kids. If, 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 I'm trying to, (laughs) you know, but I, I want, I want the kids to get to the, to the spot. That's what me and Kent say, get to the spot. But an only way for them to get there is that the parents have to get them there. And we have to get through to the parents that if you see your child and they're just sitting around the house and you know that man up is going on on this day, you need to have them there. Um, Because there's there's like what else is going on if they don't have no prior um engagement with uh, uh, athletics or something like that or some other after-school program that may conflict with the Man Up program or any other programs that is, because there's a lot of programs that are going on around Kankakee. But what I'm starting to see is that a lot of the parents are not getting them there. We're we're showing up, and where we, we want to have maybe 15 to 20 kids there, there's less than 10. And then some of the kids that are, are, are there, they don't have rides. The parents can't pick them up or the parents, you know, the parents can't get them there. So what can we do, you know, to, to, to get them there? We have to get them there because you got tremendous people that are working that are willing to, you know, myself included to share our stories are our, our individual stories of how we've conquered our fears, how we've conquered certain things when we were their age. So we're not speaking out of a a sense of we can't relate to you. Someone on this team or someone in the community is going to be able to be able to relate to you. And we're going to send you to them. We can be able to send you to them. We can send you to um, Aaron Clark, who runs the City Life Center. We can send you to uh, Kent Wade, who's the library guy. Everybody, you know, recognizes, you know, Kent Wade. And he has done tremendous work with working with the kids. But they got to get there. They have to get there. So that's, I I, I think that's, for me, it's it's go back to the parents. We got to be diligent. We got to be really on our kids because there's a lot of things out there uh, with social media, all these uh, new um, 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 little trends and stuff that the kids follow, the dances. I'm not, not saying that there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. But it's just as much as effort that they put in to, to, to do those things. Let's let's put that same effort. They need to be showing the same effort to get to the Man Up event. They need to show the same effort to get to the City Life Center or whatever you know programs I'm pretty sure there's more there's just two that I know but and um and even the mayor you know you know Chris Curtis has been to some of them you know so it it's a continued effort by the leaders even with the kickball thing that
0: we were yeah that was a lot of fun even that uh, uh, such a simple small event like that yeah you know i mean i had a blast honestly i had it though i i I pulled my hamstring at the end that's right i remember that now i was and i I was limping dude i remember that yeah and and i remember thinking to myself i'm like i don't know how i didn't do the same thing (laughs) because i feel like you're probably more active than i am when it comes to physical activity like i I don't do it. You know, like I don't play sports or go to the gym or anything like that. I mean I try to go to walk go on walks or like ride my bike when I can, but it's not like a consistent basis. So yeah. your hamstring okay now though? My hamstring it, it <laughs> took a while to actually heal. Did too. it really? Yeah. Was it that bad? I thought I had like really
1: messed up something. I'm like, <laughs> man, this is taking too long. I was like doing stretches and everything, like man. what is going on? I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should have stretched before I did the kick, not after trying to get the, you know, trying to stretch the muscle out. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But uh, yeah, it it really was so much fun. And and having events like that help. And I I mean, I feel like the overall one of the biggest goals of having, you know, the the teen zone at the the public library or the City Life Center or Man Up, it's just about um, trying to keep kids from from joining the gang activities yeah. or anything, it doesn't necessarily have to be a gang. It can, gang, it could just be anything that's negative, right? You know? the wrong activities, the, the wrong, wrong act- things. Yes, yeah. exactly. And just supporting overall, you know. And I think it's also a matter of um supporting uh, our our child's dreams, or you know, their their ambitions. You know, and maybe if it. Doesn't completely align with ours. We still need to support it as long as they're not hurting anybody, right? I mean, it, that's what it always comes down to. So, you know, if they want to um, pursue a career as a football player, okay, you know, like you're going to worry about them getting hurt, right? But you're going to be there to support him, right? You know, even though you think, no, 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 you should be a doctor, you know, or whatever. Yeah, you know, whatever it is. Um, I I feel like that's so important and it, it it really is because
1: when these kids they do when they do go to these programs and we got them in these programs th- this is how important it is that the parents be supportive of of all of these positive things because all of these negative things unfortunately there's there's a lot of crime in the city of kankakee as small as this town is we are working with these kids, and then when they get done with us, when we take them back to the neighborhoods that's where gunshots are being, you know, like, literally, I was taking a kid back from the City Life Center and pulling up at his house, and a couple blocks over, you hear pow, pow, pow. And that kind of messes with their mind because it's like, You take them from that and put them in this and then they come back to that. So for the parents, it has to be, you know, consistent. You can't just like, you know, one day and then they're here the next day they're not. Because consistently what they are going to see is the wrong things. So you have to fight wrong with the right things. That's the only way it can be. And as the parents, we have to, understand that, that we have to be consistent. We have to keep putting them in good programs, keep putting them around the right people. If they have friends that are not doing good things, then, hey, maybe that's not your friend. You know, and just being honest, like, maybe that's not your friend. Because if they're doing that type of, I had had to tell my, my son, one of my sons, I had to tell him the same thing. And he got in trouble at school. And he was and he was like, well, my friend, well, I said, look, when you started to do what it was what you did with your friend, you knew it was wrong, right? And my son said, yeah. I said, okay, so that lets me know you knew it was the wrong thing to do, but you still did it, right? Because you think you're your friend. And he's laughing. He thinks it's funny. It's not funny because, see, if he was your friend, he had told you not to do it he wouldn't put you in that position for you to get in trouble and you knew you would get in trouble and you still do it you still did it he's not your friend and as tough as that may sound, we have to have those type of conversations too with our children to so they can have the knowledge of not sticking around someone and as as unfortunate as it is you know some some kids are like like that, and that's just life. They would have to go through their thing to get out of that situation. But the ones we can save, the one that we can, our own children and the children that we, in, in the lives that we, we're in, we have to be honest with them. Like, hey, you can't hang around him no more. You can't hang around her no more because that's not your friend. Your friend would promote something positive to say, hey, let's go if your friend is not pulling you away from something negative and say, Hey, let's go to the city life center. Hey, let's go here. That's not your friend. And, and that's why I say it goes back to the parents. It goes back to the parents. The parents have to, it, it it has to start with us. and yeah, say absolutely. us. I don't want to point the <laughs> finger because <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, a like, parent too. <laughs>
0: see, yeah, same here. Like, obviously my son is still very young, but it's going to come a day when, and actually the day is always the present. So, you know, All this stuff can apply even to a four year old, you know, Yeah, I mean teaching them, you know, teaching just simply teaching them right from wrong and and guiding them in the right direction, you know, Um, and even still like, you know, he's obsessed with trains, so I try to do as many things as possible that are Train oriented if he wants to do those things you Mm -hmm. know so even though like he's not at the point where yeah I want this to be my career it's like that's his interest so you know I'm trying to support that interest you know yeah um so, I, yeah, I feel like it's, and it's just always like, I'm, I love hearing these conversations because I feel like I'm hoping it's going to set me up well for those teenage years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, they, when they come, it's like a good, it's a good reminder. And, you know. and it'll come quicker than you know, like, they're going to be 10, and I'm like, yeah. Oh, man. It's just a yeah. Couple more years. <laughs> right. Yeah. You've got, right. Your your twins are 10. So, yeah, they're they're coming. They're right around the corner. Right around the corner from teenage. <laughs> You're years. like, please don't let them be like me. Please don't. I, I, I do. I actually, I'd be like, you know, like, don't be like me.
1: But it, it's so crazy that, you know, when you do change your life, that's the beauty. It's because, like, now when I do see people and people that just now know me. Mm hmm. And I tell them, I say, hey, you know, I, I, I've been in prison, I've been in jail, I've been a gang member, I've been all these things. They're like, huh? You? Derek? The, the, you, the, the church going positive every time I see you post something on Facebook is positive and the motivate can't cause me the motivational spotter.
0: <laughs>
1: and, and people are like, no, this got to be a joke. <laughs> And and that's the beauty because it's it's like the the caterpillar that turns into the butterfly. You see a butterfly, you never knew it was this little ugly little bug crawling on. It. <laughs> you know, you never knew like that's what it was. Like yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. It's not anymore. So and that's the beauty. And when I talk to my kids, I I I talk to them from a place of I know both sides. I know where this can take you. I I know. This um, is one of my boys. He he has uh, a little temper. He does get mad. And I I see. I said it's okay to be mad. I don't want you to think it's a wrong thing by being mad. Like I'm punish you for be mad. But anger used the wrong way is a a bad release. But if it's used the right way, it's good. So, just use it in the right way, and we have to go through with our kids uh the right ways to release that anger that they're not taking it out on society or taking it out on their 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 sister or their brother or anybody anybody right that may tick them off, you know what I mean, and it's even at this age, even at five, you're a five year old right? yeah, almost five almost yeah. five, yeah, even at four. Because they have their little tantrums oh, too. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you better believe it, man. And um, and, and right now he, a, another thing I've been trying to work on with him is this is usually the age where they they always have to win, right? Yeah. You're playing a game with them, and if they lose, they're just yeah. a sore loser about it, and they'll get angry or they'll get sad, or and it's like. Hey man, you're not always gonna win. <laughs> right. You know, so it's like try it. we've been trying to like teach him that lesson too, you know. And it's getting them prepared that,
1: you know, you're not gonna win all the time.
0: Exactly. It, it's getting them because prepared. Because if for that. if I condition him to just let him win every time, then well, that's not gonna be good. It's not. When you get older, it's like, you know, then that's when that anger comes. Yeah. Because I lost. Yeah. You know.
1: But you know being a good sport about losing sometimes it's it's okay yeah. you know but it's 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 not okay to have a mindset of because now I lost now I'm I'm angry at the person I lost to I'm I'm angry at anybody that may make fun of me or you know take it with grace um uh, one of my 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 favorite speakers. He has a saying. It says, "Until you handle it with grace, it'll stay
0: in your face." That's a good saying. <laughs> That's that hits the nail right on the head. It's I've used that in so many
1: areas of my and it, it just with becoming a new person. And I said, I gotta handle this the right way. And until you handle it with grace, it's going to constantly come back in your face. It's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming because you're not handling it the right way. Or either you're just ignoring it, but you got to use grace, you know, as a way to handle things. And teaching our kids um, to to love, respect each other you know, no matter what color they are, no matter how tall they are, big they are, whatever, you know. We teach our kids, this is how we heal the world, I believe, is, you know, a course with the kids. And us as parents, if we've, lit, we, we've seen a life that they didn't, we came before them. So we have the foreknowledge of how the world is and our prior mistakes, prior to you coming into this world. So our job as parents is not to continue to keep making the same mistakes that we made and also the mistakes our parents made. We have to start over by healing the world, by especially with, with racism, placism, whatever ism.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of those. There's a lot of isms. There's a yeah, lot of isms. <laughs> it's just kind of letting go of what we were conditioned Yeah to when we were growing up or what we were taught or, you know, that kind of thing. It's, and it's it's kind of hard to let go of those things, especially uh, when it can be, uh, you know, started at a very young age from whoever uh, you were around as a, as a child, whether it was your parents or your grandparents or other family members or family friends, teachers, that kind of thing. It's just about... Uh, letting go of some of those things, realizing that eh, it's not really a good thing. Let's let's do something else, you know. And that was, I mean, I know we could go on forever. Like <laughs> we're almost at two hours already, which is completely fine because this has been incredible. Yeah. Um. But another thing I did wanted to ask you is, what do you, what are some things in your mind that uh, we can all do to have a more of a a unified Community with within the Kankakee area, you know, because obviously we've we've got all these communities within the community, you know Yeah, I mean you've you've got the Hispanic community the black community the you know all yeah. of these um, communities and um, it, It's always to me and, and that's fine. Like we can always be within our own communities But I still feel like there needs to be more unity um, yeah. in certain areas Um, I think when when Kent and I were talking, I don't remember if we talked about this on mic or off mic, but we were talking about how we can, you know, have our own communities, but we still need to be more than happy to come together whenever it's necessary or whenever—even when it's not necessary. Like, just we need to be— uh, happy to come together at any time yeah. To to celebrate whatever it is Or if it's not a celebration uh, A remembrance or an issue in the community Like we need to be On one accord On one accord and be able to come together To cry, to laugh, to all of those All of those things So wh- what do yeah. you think would help Kankakee be more unified? Um, what what things have you know you have seen or witnessed as a black man growing up in Kankakee? You know that you know because obviously I don't know what that's like. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I have no idea what that's like. I yeah. the the older I get, the more I realize how damn lucky I am. Yeah, just for the opportunities that life has presented me because I came from a family that's been here for. Generations and generations, but also came from a family that did not have the hardships as other families that have had to come here and start a life. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's we we have to
1: start by, of course, I'm 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 a person of I I, I like looking at history, but I don't want us to use history as a place to. Say well, we had to go through this. Like, I get it, you know. Like, and for me as a black man, it does get tough, you know. Um, when when people don't remember or they don't, uh, when they do look past history of what we have suffered. But here's the here's the thing. As, as, a, as a black man and in, in the black community. We can't use that forever. You know, at some point, just like all things, we have to move past. We have to move past and no, should it be like, hey, that was like so many amount of years ago. Just forget about it. No, it's not forgetting about it. It's remembering it and saying, "Let's not let this happen again." How can we not let this happen again? That it it falls into a place where, um, if we see a a black man killed on uh, uh social media by the police, the first thing we say is that it's 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 uh, racism, you know. And now, of course, the black community, the brown community, you know, whatever, are mad. And we're like, hey, you know, this cop was racist. This person was racist, you know, motivated. First of all, we don't know that. I I hate that notion that if a white person kills a black person, it was racially motivated. It's not true. Not all the time. Um, one thing that, uh, uh, Aaron Clark had did this, did the, uh, the police stop, uh, simulator, the police department did.
0: Okay. Yeah. That was not too long ago, right? Yeah. The
1: the police stop simulator. So I, I participated in that actually. Okay. So you would be a perfect contestant. Yeah. (laughs) And let me tell you something. It's, it goes through a, 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 a simulation of you're the police officer. They give you these different scenarios. They give you a gun and everything, and you're walking up to the car. You got to respond. You have this big screen that you're looking at, and you have to assess the situation. And the, the, the person that's—one of the police officers controlling the responses and how the person will respond in some situations— there would be uh, you know the you you come up to someone and they're arguing with you and they're like why are you pull me over why, why did this happen you know you know blah 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 and and once in my situation the guy had a gun on his passenger seat and I was walking up to the car and he was like what you want and he had his hand out the window with his ID or whatever but he had his hand like this on the gun so they paused it and they were like you didn't see that gun? I'm like, "No, I didn't see the gun," you know. And that right there could have been a a a a fatal mistake. And it was another scenario where I actually killed the guy. You know, cuz he 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 fidgeted too much and I was like, "Hey, get back in your car." He was starting to get out of his car. He was mad. He was like, man, you shouldn't have pulled me over. Why you pulled me over? He was really. I said, calm down, sir. Calm down. Calm down. And now I've, I've pulled my gun. I have pulled my gun. I have no police training, mind you. No police training, not an officer. But my first instinct and in seeing him getting out the car and moving towards this is a similar. It's not even a real life situation. But I have to take it as that.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's human instinct. You want to protect yourself. It's human instinct. I shot this guy like seven
1: times. And then the officer afterward, they'll ask you, say, why did you shoot him so many times? And I was stuck at that question. I said, I don't know. I just kept squeezing. He was like, well, you didn't think to just shoot one time? maybe Maybe shoot at his knee and just take his knee out. I said, that would probably been a harder shot for me to shoot someone's knee. I probably would have missed. So you shot him in his chest, the biggest part of his body, to make sure he went down. I'm like, well, yeah. Because even when I was shooting that many times, I missed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so we know you're not a good shot. I'm not
0: a good shot. I wouldn't be a good shot either,
1: honestly. <laughs> But the, 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 the moral of the story is, is that when people are like, well, why did that officer shoot that black man so many times? And you go through a simulator like that. When you're not an officer, this is why I have a new I, I've, I've been had a newfound respect for officers. But that simulator helped me have a newfound respect for all officers of the law. I'm not in their position every day. I don't see what they see every day. I don't that's that's a nerve-wracking situation when someone is being very uh, belligerent their their you know emotions is going up they're they're yelling they're moving they're moving around you want this person to be as still as possible because as I come up to the to the car, I don't know what's going on in your head. I don't know wh- how your day has been and that right there alone has nothing to do with racism. It has nothing to do whether he's a police officer asserting his authority. He's protecting his life, it's period. He's protecting his life. And for us as a community, we have to understand that we're not in a lot of these positions. So I can't speak on a position of a mayor. I've never been a mayor. I can't say what I would do. A lot of people say, hey, I would do this. I would do this. But you've never been in that position. You've never been any type of of uh, in position of authority or a position to make decisions, split decisions that will affect lives. So we have to be a community of understanding, understanding each person's role. Yes, there are some things that happen that. That that probably are not right. That probably are racially motivated. Let's handle that situation as that situation then. But don't make every situation that involves a white person killing a black person a racist motivated uh, situation. It's not. Because there has to be understanding. And that's me as a black man speaking, you know, for and I've been in situations like that. I've been pulled over. I got pulled over and I complied and I and he he was like, "Hey, wh- where are you going?" Actually, one time I was pulled over. My 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 driver's license um not my driver's license, but my plate was expired. Okay. But it was it was only 1 month, right? And he pulled me over by uh the auto zone right there across from uh um Armstrong. Okay? Yeah. So I was like right there in in the parking lot right there. He pulled me over. And he walked up to the car And I have tenant windows. So he said, let your windows down. I let the windows down. I had just did my mental health. uh, This was back in July. I had did a mental health workshop at the library. So all my stuff was in the back seat. So you see like stuff that says uh, I'm a survivor of suicide, um, help prevent suicide, Wristbands, stuff like that, right? So as he's talking to me, he said, what did you do for a living? And it was kind of odd that he just asked me that. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, um, I said I actually work at a where I actually work at Armstrong. Actually, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I actually work at Armstrong. So I was like, I actually work at Armstrong. He said, but what do you do? Like, you have a—I said, "Well, uh, I'm an advocate for the AFSP, the American Suicide uh, uh, for Prevention for Suicide." And uh, he said, "Oh, okay." And I said, I, "I just had a talk. I'm just coming from a a talk that I had a workshop that I just had." He said, "Okay, I'm asking because I see the stuff in your back seat." He said, "Well, thank you for the work that you're you're doing with spreading that awareness. Thank you." He said, "You know what? Get that sticker changed, man. You go ahead. I got you know I I got other things to do, but get that sticker. I'm just letting you know your sticker just expired. If you didn't know, it's only a month. It was it was like doing June and mm-hmm. it was July, so he was just like you probably didn't. But like things like that, and this was a white guy." This is a white police officer. Did I think he was racist approaching the car? No. You know, it's it's those times where we have to have that understanding that he's doing a job. He's he's doing his job. My sticker is expired. It's it's he's doing his job for whatever reason, you know what I mean? And certain things now that I look at when it, things happen like that, it happened for a reason, especially for me for a person that came from not liking police officers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for me to have that good interaction with a police officer,
0: mm-hmm. police are not all bad. No, there there are bad ones, obviously. That, yeah. You know, like George Floyd, That's yeah. that was horrible. Now, that is horrible.
1: That's a situation where we treat that as, you know, for what it is. Yeah. That was recorded. That was horrible. But every situation is not like that. Every... Every um, time an officer pulls you over, comply with the officer. You know, just do what he asks. And nine times out of ten, you're, you're he, he's just doing it. Like I say, it's just it's about understanding. And for us as a community, we have to understand each other. If we don't understand, or if we don't have that sense of empathy. That's really what it is. It's it's empathizing with the other person's uh, profession, um, their life, that they are a human being and they're just trying to make a living and they're doing what they like to do. He became a police officer for a reason, you know? He became the chief or whatever for a reason. And I believe that's, you know, with love, of course, love, care, empathy, sympathy for others. We repair the damage of the past by loving each other and caring for each other. Not so quick to jump to a conclusion that, you know, again, that this was racially motivated. Not jumping to judgment so quickly. That's how we, the years prior to us, the the, the 400, 500, whatever years, that this community went through this, the Hispanics went through this, the whites went through this, whatever i don't i don't I really don't like that you know that terminology with the color thing, you know yes, I, I, I hate that, you know what I mean, because that's even in itself because you're placing someone in a category, yes, we're human, we're human beings because you have a different skin tone different eye color, nose shape, whatever. It's a purpose that God made us different. It's a purpose for that. But what is not different is our heart, our mind, our blood. These things are the same. We still function and we still need water to survive. We still need oxygen. I don't know anything that's surviving without ox- oxygen. A human, anything that's, <laughs> yes. that's
0: a Yep. organic, you know. We all need the same necessities. We
1: all need the same necessities. That doesn't change for anything. No. And we all get 24 hours. We all have the same amount of time, no matter who you are. I don't care if you're a billionaire, if you're uh, Bezos, or what's his name?
0: Yeah, B- Jeff Bezos? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. He still gets 24 hours. Yep. Yeah. That's his time. We all share the same thing. And that's our commonality. We 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 share those commonalities with each other, and we just have to really just, you know, just really just be understanding. I I, I can't you know say it enough, but it's just about understanding each other. It,
0: it really is when you when you come to, when it comes down to it, it really is simple. And obviously, what you're saying is very simple: understanding. You know, understanding and and we're all human. We're all trying to accomplish the thing, you know, the same things, happiness. Yeah. And we all need the same necessities, you know? So it it really comes down to being simple and, uh, letting go of those conditioned thoughts and feelings from over the years, kind of letting them go, you know, uh, me being, a, a white person fearing someone who has, uh, a color of skin And then a person That has a color of skin Having a fear of a, a white person You know I feel yeah. like the, both has There's those fears They the Those fears might be different fears But there's still that Fear there That maybe was conditioned by the people Like I said You know parents Elders of any sort Yeah you know? Ultimately is is, and I feel like sometimes those conditions were sometimes doing those things without even, without even realizing it. And it, it might not be, it might not be a bad thing either. Um, or, uh, like a, like something like being outrightly racist against someone else. Nothing like that per se, but just like small things, uh, just with our mindset, we think, you know, um, uh, that other person of color is walking our way and you automatically kind of get scared. Like, are they going to hurt me? Like, yeah. are they going to, you know? Yeah. The, the best thing that we could do is, you know, this is my philosophy of life is,
1: is don't, don't take everything so serious, you know, get along with, try to, try to, try to get along with, with everybody. as and. And that could be different ways, you know. What I mean, it doesn't mean like I have to kiss your butt or anything. <laughs> yeah, know? right, but, right. Yeah, exactly. I'm my my goal is to get along with you.
0: Yeah. You well, know? I'm getting along with you just fine right now. <laughs> honestly, this is this is awesome. This is really great. I'm honestly, I am so grateful for your time and sharing your story uh, so in depth and literally getting teary eyed. hearing some of these things like honestly thank you thank thank you so much for for all the work that you're doing and you've got my full support thank you you and i thank you i i think what you're doing is is much needed and whatever i can do to help you just let me know so
1: I'm 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 grateful for the Kankakee podcast. You having me on and and running into you at the kickball.
0: Yeah, I hope uh, I hope that'll come back next summer. Yeah, know. me too. I'm yeah. gonna be ready though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do we, my stretches. Maybe and... <laughs> maybe you and I will have uh, what do they what do they call that um, con- conditioning training or uh, what? Tra- yeah, yeah, like uh, yes uh, conditioning conditioning. Yeah. yeah, we'll have a we'll have a con- some conditioning sessions uh, to get us ready for you know the big kickball game the, the, the big game right and, yeah and so we ended up to to get back to just real quick so there was two games uh that that we played that day and it was you know first it was adults versus the kids which the adults won that one we won we, we won that one won. but then the second game we played that day we mixed everyone up so it was it was uh you know uh, teenagers and adults and then another team of teenagers and adults i think I, I i can't remember if we were on the same team or on separate teams i think we might have been on separate teams. i think we was on separate teams i think you were yeah. on you were on kent's team right yeah i was on kent's team and i was not so but i think you guys are the ones that won i believe so yeah so the I team i was so. on lost and but, then we were only going to like five i think at that yeah time, it, was, it was like, right it really was, short yeah, yeah it was cut really short but yeah we're going to be ready next summer we're going to have uh, conditioning uh, camps or work days yeah we're we're going to start in the spring we're going to have to start like <laughs> yeah we're going to start as early as possible you start know? as start early so like when the summer comes yeah oh
1: man we're we're
0: ready yeah we'll start uh, you know middle of march beginning of april i think in order to be ready, that's perfect. That's perfect time. Yeah, and we're going there and just like
1: really tough and destroy those kids. And we're like,
0: like, what well, these guys been training? They, they won't know what hit them, man. And,
1: oh, they won't know. They won't know. We're gonna come in and just just destroy. We're gonna have our game faces on, just just ready
0: to just destroy some kids. Or put the the that black paint or what yeah, the black the, the, stripes the bla- under the, eyes, under the remember, eyes that the football players do oh yeah. yeah and
1: have the uh the real fierce strong faces no we we'll no have laughing. jerseys we need to get jerseys get jerseys yeah that'd yeah. yeah, be nice We okay. get like jerseys it'll have the uh leaders or uh, what were we the community leaders <coughs> the community leaders community yeah. leaders versus uh teenagers
0: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're getting this all planned out now because it's going to take some time to, oh yeah, to get this all together. You, me, Kent, and, and the mayor, and well, well Kent well, had having, knee pads on, so we know he's got. Well, I remember him talking <laughs> when he was on uh, the podcast. I remember him talking about his, he him like having bad knees or something from. Oh really? I think I, if I remember correctly, from I don't know if it was from playing basketball or or other injuries, but I thought him saying he, he said something about his knees or. Yeah. Kind <clears clears> yeah. of shaky. Yeah. I, I'm going to I'm I'm have some knee pads on, too, and the, the knee <laughs> sleeves uh, to, to support my Yeah, knees. we
1: got to yeah. have that support, yeah. you know,
0: support that hamstring. <laughs> oh, man, it's,
1: it's so needed, man, because I was so sore. I couldn't even sit in the car. Oh, man, I was, like, man. just That's stretching bad. out my leg under the, you That's, know, like, driving. Yeah. You know, you're trying to press the gas,
0: and I was just, like, kind of,
1: oh. Wow. wow. Driving that with one hand, painful.
0: and it was painful. Oh, man. It Paul. was like a month, Glad you're okay now. Yeah. Um, But real quick, um, before we close out, where can people, I know you have an apply pressure Facebook page, right? Yeah. So how can people, you know, find you online or if they, maybe they want you to be involved in an event that they're doing or or whatever it is, how can people contact you? Um, So my, my Facebook page is private, not private, but it's public.
1: Uh, So, Anyone can send me a friend request. Look for Derek Grant. Derek yeah. Grant is no, you know, funny names. Uh, my profile picture actually is uh, is, is Robin Robin Williams.
0: It's oh yes, that's right. I noticed that the other it's, day. It's a picture yeah. of Robin Williams. Um, um, I, I was a big fan of him. Just side note. Uh, I love Robin Williams. And
1: He was uh, a person that took his life, a suicide. So, yep. um, a great guy. But um, I do have a Facebook page. Apply pressure to brand. Um, You can add that, and then you can send a message on there. I typically respond, you know, right away. And if you want me to do an event, I've done events where you want my brand or, you know, the brand to be a part of it, you know, shirts or something like that. Just message me on the uh the 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 page that the facebook page i used to have a website uh
0: the website fees are kind (laughs) of they can be yeah they can be high yeah especially if you're like running a store on them or anything like that yeah so um i i don't have the 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 actual website for
1: ordering anything like that but you can go to the facebook page and message me on there and i will take your order and However, you want to do uh, hoodie,
0: uh, t-shirt. Hat. I love your jacket. Thank you. Yeah, it's like a Letterman jacket, right? That's I think that's what they call those style the of jackets. Letterman, right? Letterman jacket, and it's got your logo on it. God yeah, I love that. I, I have these as well. Um, I think up to two X sizes. Okay, uh, men and women. Um, yeah, and I've been so terrible. I still have not purchased a shirt from Kent. And I need to purchase one from you, too. And it's just, it's so terrible because he was on the show, like, literally, like, the beginning of it when I started this podcast, like, back in, you know, the early, uh, or the spring, early summer. Oh, okay. And I still haven't gotten one from him. And I uh, Kent, if you're listening, I promise I'm going to get one. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Don't hate me. Hey, hey, Kent, man, he's an understanding guy, man.
1: Yes, and, he is. Yeah. Um, He's uh, been really uh, influential to, to my life and stepping into speaking, also being a person that's to be able to speak. I was on the uh, Shake the Fear Conference 21, one of the, the headline speakers for that. And that went very well. And that's the first time I've ever like really got up and and, and spoke like that. So shout out to Kent, man,
0: just for being a yeah, guy that just... Help people. Yeah. yeah, he's he's amazing at at what he does, and just you know, shaking the fear, that's shaking just, the fear, I mean, right? That's the best way that, <laughs> he's he's so that that uh, that phrase he has is just a life, just like apply pressure. They're both life changing, and they're only you know, I mean, you know, shake the fear. Three words. Yours is two words. Like yeah. it's so simple yet so life changing. so So
1: life-changing and he has an incredible story too yes yes he does and he i i I can go on about that guy man because he's (laughs) he's he's definitely a, a pillar in the community and he has been doing it for a year so if anybody wants to look at an example of how we should really you know be in the community uh take an example from kent he's he's definitely one of those guys that's That's for the community. That's for
0: the city of Kankakee. I agree. All right. Well, Derek, thank you so much again for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that uh, concludes this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe or follow wherever it is that you get your podcasts, uh, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all of those. And while you're at it, if you are an Apple user, Please uh, leave us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Kankakee Podcast. If uh, you want to reach out to me about being on the show as well, uh, you, there is a uh, contact form that you can fill out at kankakeepodcast.com. And you can also sign up for our mailing list there as well. And our theme song is by Lupe Carroll. People tend to stay to me.